Hello, and welcome once again to the Howl on Speak podcast. Uh, as always, this is Rick joining you alongside Alex and Paula. Uh, and we're going to breeze through the first part of the podcast because actually mm-hmm. beaten and retired, which is what we normally start with, there's very slim pickings. Uh, and then we'll crack on with what we've been playing. Uh, and there's, there's something we've all been playing that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, the topic this week, which off the back of our discussion last week is strategy guides. Uh, and then we're going to finish with the brand new fire format of How, How Long, long to, beat to Beat the Game. The Game. The Game. The game. Man. And... <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Oh, we I'm... need to do a proper light version of that. That's lovely. Yeah, I'll have to do that at some point. Well, we should really just honestly, and like I think about this, we should really have just have some kind of epic recording of How Long to Beat the Game being said aloud. But I love that every yeah. time we try. And one day it'll be half perfect. the fun is that it's shit almost every time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and speaking of how long it takes to beat games, Alex, you breezed through this game, so I don't think you were even playing it last week. Oh, okay. Story about this. So, Wait, yeah, actually, what happened there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I just I beat. So people know what game I'm talking about here. I beat Super Mario RPG: The Legend of the Seven Stars, um, or is it just Legend of the Seven Stars? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so. I'm I'm on my March break right now. So I was very lucky. I have two jobs technically at the moment because I'm doing my practicum and then I, I teach classes in the evening and they both just happen to like line up with a week off at the same time, which awesome. Beautiful. But um, I'm really, really, really bad at giving myself like an actual just time off. Like I don't really do that. I'm very like type A where I'm just, I'm going to get things done. So like, frankly, the entire March break, I treated just basically like a work week. Like I, every day was like doing work hours and I got a ton of shit done and it was great because I find I can't really relax very well unless, you know, I've completed the things that I need to do essentially. So like, you know, let's take care of the house, getting everything done. So like, I'm like totally prepped and prepared for like the rest of my practicum. But I told myself at the end of that, I was like, you need to just not do things for like a full fucking day at least. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> so on Friday night I got a, uh, into a little bit of the old Mary Jane and I could not play Elden Ring. <laughs> I was like trying to play and I was like, I'm fucking dying too much. My like motor like reflexes were horrible. And then I was like, you know what? I was waiting for some, uh, I've been modding the Wii U and I'm, I was waiting for some flash drives to come in to just, you know, put all the games on easily. Um, and I was like, you know what? I have my SNES mini and that thing is awesome because it's, it's you know, it's got the HDMI. So like on the 4K TV, I use the CRT filter um and it's in like the you know pixel kind of perfect uh mode with the crt filter and it looks gorgeous like it really looks beautiful um and i find what's nice is that it doesn't um because i don't know sometimes on you know hdmi some of the SNES games can can look a little too crisp you know <laughs> you're like ooh, ooh i see where you were hiding those rough edges but the crt filter that they've included within within the SNES mini is really good because it's subtle it's not like ooh, there's big jagged lines coming along it's just like no everything's just going to be a little fuzzier but in a very nice way. Um, so I, anyway, I was like, I'd always, I'd seen Super Mario RPG and I was like, I need something that's like simple for me. And also it's been on my backlog forever. So I was like, you know what? Let's start playing it a little bit. And then I was like, you know what, actually? I'm not going to do work until I beat this game. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to give oh, myself time. And it's not that long. Like it's like 17 hours. And then, but with, um, with the save states and shit, I cut that down to 16. Um, pretty easily because there's some stupid shit in the game <laughs> um 
But anyway, this is a super adorable game and really holds up, honestly. Like, not only like mechanically, but graphically, it looks beautiful still. Um, it's that isometric perspective, um, kind of in that like, almost like Donkey Kong Country style graphics, right? You know, that like faux 3D look that was a big thing on uh, on the SNES. And I don't know, it's just like very, very charming and actually quite, quite funny in like very endearing ways. And like you can see the lineage of the later um, Mario and Luigi games, like those RPGs in here. I do think that like if I were to kind of like you know, rank the Mario and Luigi games and like put this game within it. This one would be like pretty high up uh, on my like listing simply because of like the characters they introduce in this are really, really compelling. Um, and Mario and Luigi games always do that as well. But something that I think is sort of missing from those games is the ability to have a party of other um, characters, right? And, and so in this one, you're introduced to Gino, who's like, you know, character that just seems to be forgotten by time but anyway um gino and then there's um mallow who's very cute and then you've got princess toad it, it is funny you can tell when this is made because it's princess toadstool not princess peach right um even though it is peach but um and bowser of course so you've got like this lovely uh troop that you're using and um rpg mechanics but it's that timed hits as well but they really don't like they'll give you a little explanation of the attacks like you need to press this button at this point but for the most part, they're just like, you know, figure it out, boy. Like, they don't telegraph it, you know? Like, in, like, the Mario and Luigi games, there's, like, a fair bit of telegraphing, um, which I do think is helpful. Um, but in this one, they're like, no, 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 just figure it out. Um, and I'll be honest, I never really figured out how to defend against some of the attacks because, like, you're never sure when to, <laughs> to hit. You're like, do I do it right before he hits? What is considered right before you hit when it's a giant animation? <laughs> you're like, I don't know. Um, but it didn't really matter. Um, I've heard some people say that kind of level against this game that it's like too easy that it's kind of like a you know um, like the like a child's RPG kind of thing which like I, I can kind of understand where they're coming from in that sense where like yeah it's not an overly difficult game in the sense that they're pretty fair um, in you know, giving you coins. You don't really level up that much, though. Like, I beat the game, I think, at level 22 and or 23, something like that, anyway. And I was probably over-leveled, actually, because, like, the final was not yeah. that difficult. Yeah, so it's a very slow-leveling progression system. Um, it's not about, like, getting crazy high levels really fast. It's like, no, 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 you just need a few levels here and there, um, which can make fights feel a little odd sometimes, though, because, like, sometimes you fight and you're like, I got two experience for that? What? You know, like, and it, even some boss fights, I'd get, like, five experience. And I was like, what the point of the boss was, to, <laughs> whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it does require strategy. It's just the thing is, like, if you've played a number of RPGs, you'll figure out that strategy pretty quick, right? Like, it's not going to be super difficult for you to figure these kind of strategies out. Um, but at the same time, the enemies pack a fucking punch. Like... A number of them do. Um, and so you do have to consider, like, who's in my party? How am I switching them up? Who's doing health management? Like, um, what equipment are they wearing, right? Like, if you play the game properly, then, yeah, it's not super difficult. It's just it's just challenging enough. But I don't really think that's a critique of the game. Like, the game, the game is well-balanced, basically, you know? Um, and I think it, I, I do think this would be, like, a really great introduction RPG to someone because it is challenging. 
um, but it's not unfair. And for me, it was perfect because I just wanted something like this game felt like palate cleanser. I'm playing goddamn Tunic and Elden Ring right now. I need a fucking palate cleanser sometimes. <laughs> you know? like, as much as I love those games, there's a period of time where you're like, I just need to play something that's fun and makes me feel like I'm really good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, that's kind of and all the environments are adorable. I love that the kind of world map, it like kind of wraps around and um, you meet all these like fun um all these fun characters. The mini games are trash. I will say that there's a series of mini games throughout this that are borderline just absolutely garbage. Like there's this Yoshi race that is fucking ridiculous. Like I guess if you have extremely good rhythm, um, maybe it's fine. But I also have to say, like, I don't think I have a lot of latency when I'm playing. But I'm pretty sure there's some latency because I have one of the Eight Bit Do like wireless ones and it's good but like i get the sense that there's at least a tiny bit of latency with um um especially with you know the fucking face tv and everything it's like this is not how this game was designed to be played um so i some of the mini games i was just like it's just not happening like i'm just if it's something that revolves like rhythm really going really fast i'm like no there's no fucking way it's gonna work (laughs) Um, and the rhythm didn't make any sense there's like a whole video online of people like showing how to like do it properly because like they're like you need a trick for this because it's messed but it doesn't even really give you anything important so it's like there's no point just give it um so yeah i don't know have either of you played this game can't say i have although i'm same as you it's been on my backlog for a long time i like the uh i like the mario rpgs that i've played and it's been sort of on my radar uh, interesting to see how short it is because I'd sort of assumed yeah. it would be double that being a square RPG from that kind of period of time. No, and that's why I think I like it so much. It's it's mm. concise, you know. They don't. You never... And that's always that's always been a benefit. Of the Mario RPGs they are quite tight the experiences. I remember I played um, Superstar Cycle not that long ago, and that sort of fell around the twenty twenty five hour mark. I think yeah. um, I had the same feeling with Cosmic Star Heron. I think more RPGs would benefit from um, streamlining themselves a little bit more rather than trying to make this grand epic and and losing players at the halfway point. Exactly, because, like, that's what I feel about this game, is that by the time I was at the end, I was like, oh, this is perfect, actually. Like, I'm I'm just now starting to get to that point where I'm like, okay, we're kind of in the gauntlet mode, you know, where it's like, you know, it's the end, and you just got to get through these things. But I'm like, but really, I was only, you know, that's about a 15-hour mark. I'm like, that's a pretty good point to be at the end there, you know? Like, um, Mm. if if it had kept going, I think I would have been like, oh, fuck, no. Um, I also did play this in, like, you know, a couple sittings basically, <laughs> but th- that's something you can do with this game. Like this is a game that you could honestly, like if you have a weekend and you somehow have just all this time off, it's kind of a great game to just bust out. Like I was, you know, watching videos and stuff, um, <laughs> watched a few movies too uh, on my phone as I was doing it. And like, it's kind of perfect for that. You know, you can just kind of sit there and be like, all right, let me get through it. Um, Paula, sorry. Have you played this one? <laughs> no, I haven't played it. Um, I, I haven't really played any of the Super Mario RPG series. How about no. I think about it? No. I mean, you know, I really recommend them because, like, there's nothing quite like them, you know? Um, in the sense, like, what even, like, what Rick was saying, um, they're just very, um, I don't know. They're, like, unique, not particularly intensely difficult, but not so easy that you don't have to pay attention, right? Like you do have to, and like the uh, the action buttons make it, I, I think, a bit funner. You're actually like engaged within the turn-based mm. combat. 
Well, they're, they're streamlined, right? Because you don't really yeah. do party management. You have the same guys the whole way through. Broadly speaking, all your moves are item-based. Um, so it's it's very focused on the RPG of it rather than the party and inventory. You have new equipment. It doesn't really matter all that much. The way you go through games, pal, you'll slip and beat three of them. It's yeah. It's really not, um, not Super- a big commitment. I think Super Mario RPG is different in that regards because you do have party management. Like you have five people, but you don't actually have to. Everyone gets XP. So whoever's not in your party doesn't matter. It's really just up to your preference of like who you want to be using and whose movesets you're going to be used. Um, but then inventory, you do have to manage it a bit because, and I, I think this is honestly, this is just a SNES thing where it's like the items that they had, you had a limit on them. And I'm pretty damn sure that was just because they, it was probably just a technical thing where it's like, you can't have 300 items. God damn it. <laughs> like you can have two big sheets of them and that's fine. Um, but it actually kind of works because it encouraged me to actually just use my items because frankly, you could always restock on them if you needed to. Um, so that was nice. But yeah, I think it's it's a perfect length. Um, I gave it like personally like an eight out of 10 just because some of those mini games were just dumb as shit. And I was like, um but in terms of the game itself like it's just a very very fun and a game that holds up very well nowadays like in terms of rpgs on the snes i'm like oh yeah like as i was playing it i was like oh this shit holds up like chrono trigger does you know chrono trigger is obviously a better game but in terms of like appeal to play nowadays i'm like oh yeah absolutely both those games easily you can play them today and just be like this was super fun and that's exactly what i did (laughs) nice um, so anyway. maybe I just yeah. put that one on my uh, will play it someday list, yes. right? Because right now the backlog is pretty intense. Yeah. Is it on Nintendo but Switch yeah. Online? I feel like it isn't. I think I can't remember. Um, if it isn't, it's got to be soon. I yeah. think it's not. Actually. I think it's the Square thing. I think that's the the rub, right? Um, but right. I think it was on the Wii shop, wasn't it? I don't know about the Wii U For one, but sale. definitely in the Wii U shop. Yeah. yeah. Even then, I mean, like, they'd find a licensing thing. They'd work it out. Yeah. But it's on the SNES Mini. So if you got one of those. <laughs> um, Again, evidence, if any, that they would find a way to work it out. Yeah. If it is there, play it. If not, oh, my God, you can emulate it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paolo, tell us about Fire Emblem. Well, I finished Fire Emblem Awakening, and it only took me about 20 hours, counting like all the the couple of fristers I have to do. And I only lost like three units, which were real, the mage you get early on, because all things happen and suddenly she uh, fell to a critical hit. And I wasn't going to restart that chapter, not in a... Not in a long shot. And I also, well, kind of sacrificed Frederick and Sully on that one chapter. I said, I, hey, I'm kind of having trouble getting all my units to, to, to the end, like, or like getting my one, like my couple of strong units to beat this boss. So I guess I'm going to train these two guys up uh, to have like, less squishy units to protect my more squishy units and they fought violent, valiantly and they fell in combat <laughs> and all the other units survive up to the end of the game beautiful 
Um, so I would call that a success. I was trying like not to restart the game like too many times because I was like, no, nobody have like time for a perfect run for Fire Emblem. At least not me, because I am marathon in the shit out of them. Anyways, um, Fire Emblem Awakening overall has like a decent story. Like Fire Emblem isn't like really known for the story, more for the gameplay and the strategizing. But this one, I feel it's kind of like above average, or at least it's enough to keep you engaged and keep you like, okay, one more chapter, one more chapter, okay, one more chapter. So uh, that's why my hands sleep and I feel it in like in a couple of weeks. Anyways, the I feel like the the pair up system is absolutely broken, especially in this game. They do try to balance them out in later entries. More on that later. And but the thing is, once you have your units like up to a certain level of support, they just break the game. Especially if you have like the the very strong units like burn them up to the, together, put them like in the middle of the field, and it is game over for your enemy. So yep. Uh, the revisit to the game was pretty fun. I wasn't expecting to get as engaged as I was, or like get like as invested as I was. But because of my in my recent playthroughs of Fire Emblem: The Neology of the Holy War or The Blazing Blade, I was having trouble like to jumping back into the game. But there's something in Awakening that just keeps you like playing. For a long time, <laughs> maybe until you beat it, but there's something there. So overall, I feel this is like a very good entry point for beginners, and it is also a very good game overall. Um, and I feel that even if the pair up system is broken, like the overall design of each level is well thought out, which at least like on a couple of levels, it balances like the pair system being absolutely broken. Just for a couple of levels. So, um, so yeah, yeah. that I was, was one game I beat. Hmm? I was going to say that that was my intro to the Fire Emblem series. And I think it was a lot of people's introduction to the series. Yeah, I mean, it's it was mine too. Like it, it, that game was make or break for the series. And not only did it do gangbusters, but it also kind of changed it in a lot of ways with the whole sort of, Oh, yeah. um, personification, sort of bringing um, social links and that kind of element into the game. Mm-hmm. Well, dang, that's uh, that's it for our beatings, and we don't have any yep. retirements this week, so we're jumping right I've on. Jackie Chan. <laughs> it's yeah. been a busy old week for me. Um, why don't I start with that in the playing? And I want to start yeah. actually with what all three of us played. So, yes. um, for the for the listeners, um, Alex and I kind of peer pressured Paula into buying risk of rain too um so that we could have a four-player party um with my irl younger brother um who is if you can believe it like me but without the filter I mean, there, honestly, there is yeah, that's good yeah, and, and, yeah that's pretty much and the other two guys were like wait you've got a filter like what? <laughs> yeah. and then and then you you met him and you realized yeah there is a filter there believe it or not so um how I suppose first of all, Pala, how was your experience of the game 
um, having heard me and Alex talk about it, but but playing it for yourself for the first time. Oh, listening listening to you too didn't really give away anything or like really explain what the game was about in the mm -hmm. sense of hey i wasn't expecting like a third person game for some reason like i wasn't the impression that it was like more of a first person game mm -hmm. that aside the absolute chaos on each and every level especially like the longer you play cannot be put into words so no matter how much you've talked to me about the game prior to playing it, there's nothing, there was nothing you could do, guys, to prepare me for the actual experience. Still, my first, in my place, in my first run with you guys, I was like, hey, I didn't know you have to like, I mean, I knew about the items, but I wasn't sure like how to pick them up. So I was like, yeah, like, because like you explain me like the controls and I was like okay the combat seems rather easy and then I was like hey but you never explained to me how to pick up the items <laughs> or what I needed for the items and for, so... for some context like in this game you essentially like buy items that basically make it so you don't get your ass just completely handed to you like they're a hundred percent necessary to, to keep going through the game but yeah I, I remember our first run we all have all these items and Paolo doesn't have any and we're like oh no the other three was had like a string of 20 each and Paolo literally had two one of which my brother had actively given to because he's like this specs really nicely with your build come and pick this up and I think that was the point at which we realized just how far behind Paolo had fallen yep um so obviously, once the once we got to a certain level, I was completely squishy and practically useless in combat. The second one was a lot more fu uh, fun because I actually was able like to buy the items before people got to them. So I didn't fall behind as much. I still did fall a little bit behind. But once I got used to the overall like control scheme of the game and to the character I was using that it was the Huntress, things were like very, very fun and very, very chaotic. Those are like my first impressions of this one. And how about you, Alex? Because you played a little bit. I don't know if this was your first four player game. Certainly, I think it was your first time yeah. playing with the non-potato PC. Yeah, it was the first four-player. Well, I don't know. Wait, did we play four-player before? I know we played. I, maybe. That's kind of why I'm asking you. We did, you, yeah, because sure. it was Abatage and um, Cock that we played with, I think, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Friends of the podcast, Abatage and Cock. So this yeah. is the first time that I was playing it, like, where I could actually fucking see what was going on, um, which made a big damn difference. It's, it's, it's insane how big of a difference it is, though, because, like, I would aim and shoot at things and my bullets would hit them. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. like in the first one, I'd aim and shoot, and it'd be like, wait, what did I miss? It was right there. And then it was like, no, no, you silly boy. That's the lag on your computer. <laughs> you shooting at the air. <laughs> um, so that was way better. And it was nice to play with with, <laughs> with a few folks who know what they're doing, because like I, I got there near the end of it. But the thing that's interesting with this game for me is that like I still haven't quite figured out how to identify which enemies are like actually the stronger ones or not. Because like every time I would die, it was like 
I'd be just shooting and going around. And then it was like, I'm dead. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> like, I was like, like, honest to God, like most of the time, I'm like, I know I messed up somehow, but I like genuinely have no idea how I just died. And then it'd be great. Cause like either you or your brother would go, oh yeah, I just activated a combat shrine. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think a times you activated and you thought you're like, oh, what does this do? And I activated like one, but I didn't die when I did. Cause I think what happened is that, you know, it's, it's weird. It's the, it's the knowledge of like what's coming that like makes it a little easier because you know you get into the, there's like two modes in risk of rain right there's like the oh these are just the normal enemies i'm just gonna shoot the shit out of them they can't do much to me you know what i mean like there's that like harvesting the enemy and then there's the like we got bosses coming and you're like okay i gotta be more evasive and like moving around and shit and so like i kept like, anyway i wasn't doing enough evasive maneuvers <laughs> yeah yeah and, um, and spatial spatial awareness is everything in that game like you say like yeah. There's the regular enemies and there's the bosses and then there's like elite enemies in between. And yeah. if you don't spot them coming, they really can ruin your day. Because they can wreck you like super fast, right? Like it can, yeah, it can sure. just be a yeah. second or two and they're just like, you're down. Um, Especially and- like with the combat trying thing you activated, mm-hmm. which we knew after you activated and we were already dead. But- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first like, level the as well. It's like a loaded stone golem. Like... Yeah. Like suddenly, like the enemies were a lot stronger, and it was like, hey, it wasn't like this like a second ago, and <laughs> suddenly there are like a lot of enemies. What the hell happened here? Oh yeah, that's a combat train item. <laughs> and I was like, oh okay, they're mine. I'm dead because there were like those um bison like thingies like just oh, yeah. ramming against everyone, and I was to- just in the middle of it. I have to say, even when I die, though, the music fucking slaps. So I'd just be sitting there going, that is yeah. <laughs> just Sounds like it's coming out. Yeah, it's really like, I don't know. I really like it. It, it, it was pretty fun to play because like, like, you know, I don't I don't play multiplayer games that much, honestly. Like I play with, with some friends, you know, like couch co-op. I'll do that uh, um, from time to time. But like, I don't know. I really dig this one because like I can totally get behind the cooperative multiplayer like that for me is like okay i like this because ultimately at the end of the day i'm just like i'm getting older man my reflexes aren't as good i, I can't keep up with youngins on like uh, competitive multiplayer games i can't do that um plus it feels a little like i don't know back when i felt like i had all the time in the universe competitive multiplayer games felt more compelling you know what i mean <laughs> nowadays um i'm just like you know looking at a game and i go like i literally can only play so many games in a year is this gonna be one of them <laughs> you know and so yeah, I guess. with risk of rain is that like it actually feels like i'm like oh no no like we're playing a game we're just doing this together and like the roguelike nature of it like really um it's very appealing for me so yeah i dug it a lot and it, it the four player experience really is where it's at like you can play that game solo and it's good fun and you can play that game with a couple of people or three people and it's it's better but when you get a group of four together those maps are really best experiences that because it's so much easier to cover all the ground and, and hit things within the time and it has to be said the devs have done a really good job of scaling um yeah the the combat threat depending on how many people you've got playing um and it's also scaling the money reward that you get to match so in terms of the pacing it actually feels broadly the same no matter how big your party is, which is always good. Um, there's also just, like you say, with the roguelike nature with the different items, uh, with the sheer amount of characters you can unlock. So, I mean, you you two, because you've only just got the game, you've only got 
you know three or four characters available to you at any one point but as you get through and then if you get the dlc you're talking 12 14 characters yeah. at your disposal and that that's just another way that you can have so many different experiences um with the runs and to be fair given how green you both are we did really well we got to stage five i think both times um and they've made that way harder since the dlc came out because normally normally i would breeze through that but the new the new boss on stage five absolutely slaps and um i think both or all of the times i faced it post update um we've been decimated by it whatever party i've been with so I, I dread to think what they've been with the final boss. Right, but, we beat it when I basically couldn't even do shit. Um, like we got. And I think to, that run we did, you all died, and I basically soloed the guy. Yeah, and it and it yeah. was like the final final, like it was past the the yeah, like it was that like final, the final boss moment, and yeah, like we actually got there. But in this one, we're all doing fine, and like no, we could not get there. <laughs> it was tough shit. Mm-hmm. Nope. It, it's it, a different track. He's a big guy. I think I think we'll get there eventually, but they've they've definitely bumped the difficulty up as well. The, nice. the main thing is it's a it's a very fun game. Oh, it's very fun. <laughs> it is. It's nice to bring so many members of this podcast crew and of the community into this little world because I feel like I've been a bit of an evangelist for this game. Um, and it, it's nice, as it's been with 13 Sentinels and a few of the other ones where I get a little bit overhyped and I'm like, you have to play this. It's always nice when someone comes in and like, actually, this is really good. It's a warm, fuzzy <laughs> feeling. And that's really nice. Um I am going to, unless you guys have got anything else you want to sort of throw into the hat with that. Good stuff. In which case, I'll blast through my playing because not much has changed, to be honest. So um, I am still actively playing, but have not progressed this week with Astral Chain for the Nintendo Switch. Days Gone for PS4. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night for PC. I have played some more Kiwi. It's still lovely. Um, We're in the final third of the game. um, And... To be honest, we thought they were going to be sort of... The way the game's structured, it has like seasons and weeks within each season. So we finished fall. No, we finished summer. We finished fall. We kind of expected there to be a spring and a summer. The third season was winter. And there was another bit of the menu that looked a bit strange. I was like, oh, is that is that it? And so I went on the trophies and yes, winter is the last season. We were actually a little bit sad. We were like, oh no. But <laughs> I, I actually think that's probably for the best because the way that they've structured I imagine they might run out of steam if they tried to stretch it to four and I would always rather again be a little bit shorter and not outstay its welcome and I think Kiwi is absolutely going to fit that bill um we've played quite a few more of the extra sort of um what's the name they call them not odd jobs but you know single one shot sort of inversions on the formula and they're all a nice little distraction um with the exception of the the rhythm game one, which was low-key broken, and I wasn't a fan of that, but like generally speaking, the game is a blast. It's really wholesome. It's full of charm. Um, the game is compelling itself. There's a real sort of drive um, to get the gold times on everything. It really always feels achievable, which isn't always the case with three-star systems like that. It always feels like you know, you're just one try away from getting it. Um, and while it isn't, I think I said this last week, while it isn't the same quality, as it takes to, in the sense that it just doesn't push the envelope as much. It isn't quite as polished. It's not trying to do as many things. In its own way, it is just as fun. It's just a different kind of experience. Um, And if you've got someone to play it with, I cannot recommend this game highly enough. 
Um, I've also played a lot more of The Witcher for PC. Still having a great time with this one, although the inventory management is starting to get really, really cumbersome. Um, fortunately, so you have two inventories in essence. You have an alchemy sack, which is where you put your alchemy ingredients, and then you have an everything else, which is all your potions, um, perishables, food, certain sort of quest items, um, saleable goods, valuables, and then there's a separate thing for key items as well. But that that middle slot, like the everything else inventory, fills up rapidly. <coughs> Excuse me. One really awkward choice, and I'm not quite sure why they made it, is every time you pick up a contract, for example, to kill 10 drowners or, you know, that kind of thing where it's kill X number of Y enemy, um, those contracts take up a slot in that inventory. And I, there's a really tenuous argument that, oh, that's supposed to incentivize you to only take a couple of time, but fuck that. That's not a fair argument, and I call bullshit on that because none of the other quests require you to have an equipable item. I think it's just a really, really negative choice, and it's something that you sort of have to actively have to work around a little bit. Now, in the game's defense, you have got a drop-off point at the inns, and that's accessible everywhere. It's like a, a magic chest type thing. Still, I'd say between 15 and 25% of my time has been spent in one form or another juggling inventory items, and that's not really the most compelling gameplay. However, everything else around it, really, really cool. The combat in its own way is quite engaging. I think it helps, and again, I think I said this last week, I think it helps that the game is sort of geared towards assessing what kind of threat you're going to be facing, preparing potions um, and consuming potions accordingly. Um, it's almost a, a prepare to fan, a fail to plan, plan to fail situation. I think the game leads into that really well. And that complements the really excellent writing um, and quest structure that you work within. Uh, there's lots of multi-layered quests with different branches and, and failure points and stuff like that. Um, there's lots of interesting ways that that plays into the romance system and the dice poker system that they've got going there. Various other interconnected things that are going on within that world. I have spent sort of another six to eight hours playing this game in the past week, have barely progressed past the place I was at. Like, I think I'm about to end chapter two of five. And when we spoke about it last week, I just started chapter two and had just like got into that area. The, the world is so rich with stuff. And that is a, a real positive. And it, it, it's part of the reason that I've stuck with a game that really is starting to show its age and, and the seams are starting to pull a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, would I recommend it? Maybe. I think it all depends on your tolerance for the jank. Um, for me, the story elevates it and, and the everything else is fine. Uh, there's no one thing or confluence of things that's pulling it down enough for me. I definitely know a lot of people who played and loved The Witcher 3 who would have despised The Witcher 1 for all of its quirks and foibles and all of the ways that it is of its period um, or, or of the time that it came out. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are likely to be a bit more tolerant for that kind of thing. And there is absolutely a game worth experiencing in there. I gather that The Witcher 3 is very accessible without playing the previous two, so I think that's a, a your mileage may vary situation. Even if I end up dropping it at some point beyond now, I'm very glad I played it. Um, I'm glad I experienced some of it as is. Um, and the last game, 
saved this till last because it sort of ties into what you've been playing, Alex. Uh, and that is Mario and Luigi Partners in Time. Um, the the second of the the Mario and Luigi RPGs. I'm only an hour and a half in. I have got the babies now. So the the way that this game differs from the other Mario and Luigi games is you time travel back to a era where you can collaborate with the baby versions of yourselves. And it's kind of adorable how you can already see the personalities coming through. The Mario baby's a bit more headstrong. The Luigi baby cries at the first sign of anything. Um, but they, they really tie them in in quite clever ways. So it's almost a puzzle-solving mechanic, but it does also split into it in the way that combat works. So you can engage in combat either as the two big brothers, the two little brothers, or all four of them, depending on what's going on. And even on the basic jump attack, when you would ordinarily press the A or B button um, in time with the attack to, to do the extra damage, what you can do instead, if you've got the babies piggybacked when you go into combat, is you can press the corresponding baby button for them to do a little attack and <laughs> then the button for the big brother to attack. And they tie into the, the bro skills in various ways as well. It does a lot with what could have been a very superficial change. And again, that's always been the strength of those RPGs. They really do change a lot. Bowser's Inside Story is up next for me. I know that does a whole thing with you being inside Bowser's belly and um, playing with sort of what happens on his inside and how that affects him on the outside. Um, I'm having a blast with this one, and I always expected I would. Um, again, if anyone's thinking of playing this and has a rumble pack, it makes really good use of it. So absolutely take advantage of that. Certain flash carts can also emulate that rumble functionality so again well worth checking if you have something that can do that for you um yeah it, it, it's a lot of fun i'm having a really good time with it only negative at this point is the map screen could be better but the game's designed well enough that it doesn't really matter um so i'm having a blast actually with all of those i've got a load of really great games on the go um which i am enjoying um alex <laughs> Why don't you jump in next? Because I want to know how Box Boy and Box Girl are going, first of all. Good, yeah. I, I'm I'm not, like, I, I don't know if I progressed a, a ton since last week. I probably should have listened to last week's episode to remember where I was. <laughs> um, I, I think I only have a couple worlds left. Like, I think I'm on, like, World 11 or something like that. You've got um, maybe four of, of the main campaign. Again, there's three campaigns total. Yeah, and I, I'm probably only going to go through the main campaign, I think. Um, That's fair. Yeah, just, just, I'm just wetting my whistle. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but it's just it's just good it's just good puzzling you know like i don't have a whole lot to say on it because like you said it is pretty simple but like the ideas are uh compelling um i always feel like when i'm a little like okay i'm done with that one it's like all right here's a whole new mechanic and you're like cool let's go <laughs> you know um so i just like that and i also think it's it's pretty cute um which really helps like it's, it's a very nice chill like it does challenge you to think <laughs> outside the box um <laughs> enough um but you can still I still find it's like a nice like sit down relax kind of game for me and like I'm taking it pretty slow like I I don't know probably beat it over the next few weeks but like it's nice to just like take a couple worlds you know, take a few like stages and then just kind of set it down you know like it really it really suits that um that kind of play style I find if you just kind of like sit down and try to go through all of them you get a little overwhelmed which is pretty common for puzzle games right but uh for sure. yeah no box boy box girl good shit good shit I imagine it's pretty fun to play in co-op. Um, maybe I'll do that with my fiance at some point. We'll play some. The co-op is lots of fun. Can can confirm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, 
Okay, what else am I playing? I, okay, I started Triangle Strategy. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit last week. Gorgeous, absolutely beautiful looking. Very fun. Um, I haven't really made it much further because it's not really a game you can kind of just sit and watch something with because there's a lot of dialogue. So this is going to be my uh, commute game. So next week you'll hear a lot more about Triangle Strategy, which I hear it's not even really that long for a single playthrough because there are many, many endings, I guess. So um, from what I hear, it's like about 20-ish hours for a single playthrough, which to me sounds like a good amount for a game like Finesse that. RPG is pretty short as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, right? Um, which I'm kind of down with that, you know, like, I look, I love strategy RPGs, but I don't, sometimes I'm like, give me a little less, please. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, I don't want a goddamn 80 hour saga anymore. I'm done with that shit. Just give me a tight, good story with some fun battles and I'm happy. <laughs> and that sounds exactly like Speaking of which, Elden Ring. Yes, because, well, yeah, <laughs> the opposite of the short thing. This one will, I'll probably be playing this until I'm dead. Um, <laughs> this game is so, it's, it's so good. I beat Mar Margit, 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 the big, he's the big, like he's the first. So like the way Elden Ring works, really, there are bosses that are essentially like skill checkpoints, right? Where they're like, okay, so you've been playing for a little bit. Has that been luck? Or do you know what you're doing? <laughs> this is one of them where he's like, come on, you got to use your right mechanics. Um, and he is hard as fuck, but mostly he's hard if you're panicky and if you're not being conscious about your moves, then he's difficult as shit. And he's still hard, even if you are good with that, right? Um, but the nice thing is that, like, I basically went around and explored a bunch of Limgrave and, like, all these areas, and I, I leveled myself up pretty well. Like, I'm about, I think I'm, like, level, when I, when I beat um Marjit, i think i was like level 26 or something like that i was like around there um which you know wasn't bad i was really just through exploring and like you know having some fun that i got to that point um but now i'm in stormvale castle and <sighs> these fucking knights <laughs> God, just some of these uh enemies are just so fucking pain in the arse and you know the worst part is it like this game plays on your like I might have something good though. <laughs> so you're like, you know, mm. like technically you can run away, but I'm like, I'm not gonna run away. I'll, I'll beat him. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm doing that right now. Um, it's it's like everything people are saying about it is spot on. Like it's just, it's just very good. Um, I will say. Some of the control scheme stuff is kind of fucking dumb. Like the, the lock-on is really annoying and kind of works, but I'm like, for how vital that lock-on is, I really wish there was an easier way of doing it and like an easier way to switch between people, but whatever. Um, and yeah, I don't, anyway, it's good. I don't know how I feel too about like, I kind of wish my block player, there's like little things that I'm just like, I kind of wish that I could have this here. Like, I feel like it would be just like a little smoother to play through, but um, I also think that's probably for like Souls fans are probably just like are used to the kind of anachronisms of this of this game and like the kind of genre and the way that they that their control scheme works. But it's really funny because I'm also playing Tunic and in Tunic, you map your weapon to whichever one of the face buttons you want. So I used X because that felt kind of natural to me. But then, of course, in Elden Ring, X is the fucking item button. So 
when I go from tunic and I go over to Elden Ring, I'll like hit and I go, no, that was my flask. Oh, I wasted a flask. You know? And you're like, there goes your flask. Right. And I'm like, ah, and then I'm like, oh, I got to hit this thing. And then I'm dead. So I was just like, shit. Okay. I got to make sure I really space out tunic and Elden Ring because they're mechanically kind of similar, but very different. Um, so anyway, I'm making good progress in, in Elden Ring though. And, uh, still really liking it. I think this is genuinely the like from software game that like, if you don't play from software games, this is the most likely game to get you into them. Um, because I've been hearing people that I know hate these games are playing it. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. Now the thing that I do wonder is, will I beat this game? And that I don't know because I've never really, I think I've, I've beaten one dark souls game. I think I, in Dark Souls 3, I think, is the only one I actually beat. Which, I don't I don't know why that's the one game I beat, but I think I had that on the 360 back in the day, maybe the PlayStation 4 or something, and I just, I went through and I beat the damn thing with a lot of help. Um, <laughs> but, like, Bloodborne and stuff, I just kind of felt, I also think Bloodborne's, like, the hardest of them all, to be honest. That game is fucking, that game is hard, man. Uh-oh. Um, that's yeah. the only one I own. Oh, it's... <laughs> But it's also one of the best. So, you know, there you go. Um, we'll see. Anyway, but I bounced off of that and Dark Souls because I think Bloodborne, I just got fatigued. I literally got to a point where I was like, if I move forward, it's just going to be harder enemies. <laughs> you know? You know like, like, it's genuinely mentally taxing. And Elden Ring is the same thing. That's why I went and played Super Mario RPG because it literally is at a certain point. You're just like, oh my God. I know it's just going to be stressful if I keep going. Like, can I keep going right now? Like, I genuinely need breaks from this game. Um, so anyway, that's Elden Ring. Uh, I, I highly, highly recommend it, though. Um, playing more Majora's Mask. I'm at the Snowhead Temple. The, you know, the one with the Goron stuff. Uh, I'm there right now. Just got in there. Um, still blown away at how good this game looks with the with Nero's, um, uh HD textures. Like, it's just beautiful. Um, so anyway, playing that, getting there. Um, and f- actually, so speaking of Zelda a little bit, I was telling Paola this, but I am, um, and I think you know as well, I got a Wii U. So Wind Waker is going to be on this soon. Um, but I, I have to tell this story real quick because this is just, so I got this Wii U. Very cheap, um, which was excellent. And when I got it, of course, the guy hadn't factory reset it. Like it had all his stuff on it. And I was like, oh, what? I don't know. I'm going to factory reset this thing because I'm, you know, I'm just going to hack the damn thing anyway. So I was like, I'm not, I don't need any of your old games on here. Like, I'm just going to, which also, word of advice to anyone who <laughs> um, is selling a used console, especially if it's of a modern era, factory reset your console before you give it to someone because, like, that dude had his credit card settings saved on there. And I'm like, buddy, you can't do this. Like, I'm like, being the good guy just like factory reset it for him. But I'm like, dude, I could have easily taken advantage of you and you couldn't have done anything about it because it would have been a legitimate purchase from you. Um, so anyway. Good advice for anything electronic. Wipe that shit before you sell it. Yeah, honestly. Especially if you don't have like, yeah, wipe it, wipe it, wipe it. So anyway, I wiped it for him because I'm, you know, I'm not like, I don't, I don't live that kind of life. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> um, But I quickly learned why the Wii U was a goddamn failure because the gamepad connects to the Wii U system using a five gigahertz Wi-Fi connection. Okay. Okay. Now, once you have connected to the Wii U, it's all good. But 
when you initially need to connect the gamepad to the Wii U, if there are any, and I mean fucking any Wi-Fi signals, even kind of close to that system, it will not connect at all. And you can't do anything until the gamepad connects. You cannot start the system with any other type of controller. You have to connect the Wii U gamepad to it to make it work. So I shut off literally everything in my goddamn apartment. My Wi-Fi was off everything. But here's the problem. I live in an apartment. And in an apartment, Wi-Fi signals are fucking everywhere. And a little known fucking fact, in Japan, a lot of fucking people live really fucking close to each other. So I'm like, how did this ever work? I couldn't for the first hour or so, almost two hours, I was unable to get this thing connected. And you have to do this thing where you like press these buttons on the Wii U gamepad in like the right pattern on what's on your TV. So eventually I had this like brainwave moment where I went, wait a fucking second. Okay, I can't connect in this house. Oh, I have power outlets in the parking lot <laughs> because... Oh, you didn't. I did. You beat in. I brought in a bag. I took in a bag. I brought the Wii U out and I plugged the Wii U into our like, because, you know, in Canada, I don't know if it's the same and probably brought, I would argue probably definitely not in Chile, but I don't know, maybe in the UK. We have outside of every house, every apartment, like uh, plugins because our cars need um, uh, heaters that heat the oil up because our oil will get like jellified and will essentially not be able to turn over and like, because uh, it gets so cold. Oh, dude, it's, it's not that cold here, no. Yeah, That's okay. Thing. So we have those <laughs> everywhere, um, and they're 100% needed. So every parking lot you'll see, and especially in houses and apartments, all have uh, power outlets um, there as well because we need them. So I went out back, plugged in the Wii U, turned on the gamepad, turned on the Wii U, like waited like 20 seconds, hit the sync button, and then put in the memorized code, and it fucking connected. <laughs> and so I, outside, I had to like go through the setup and then bring it back in. And I couldn't believe it because like the hacking. So I hacked the Wii U and it was so easy. It took me like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes or so following a video to fully hack this console. The hardest part was getting the fucking gamepad to connect. So honestly, nowadays I'm like, if you get one of these things from someone and they haven't factory reset it, I don't recommend factory resetting it because it's yeah. going to be really hard to connect the gamepad. Just manually yeah. delete all their shit or something because I was like, oh my God. Anyway, that was my adventure, but I have Wind Waker loaded on that thing, and when I finish my practicum, uh, I'm going to be Wii U in the shit out of this for a little bit here. Because um, <laughs> also, another thing, if, and somebody might ask, Alex, why the fuck did you buy a Wii U? You really want to play Wind Waker that bad? One, yeah, I do, but secondly, um, the Wii can't connect to an HDMI connection without a converter. Um, and there are some good converters out there that can like really upscale it and make it look beautiful. Uh, but they cost way more than a Wii U does. And a Wii U connects via HDMI and I'll tell you right now, looks really nice. And it's got the Wii virtual car. It's got like a V Wii on there, virtual Wii on there anyway. So you can just play all Wii and GameCube games. And I'm like, oh, might as well just fucking play it on, you know, the Wii U. <laughs> so that's why. Uh, oh, and I forgot. Sorry. Last, last thing, and I'm just going off here. Last thing, uh, Tunic. Playing Tunic more. Um, thanks to it winning Game of the Month, I actually got back into it because I stopped at this uh, Siege Engine boss. Um, but then I, I've been chatting with Avatage about it because Avatage is like just about where I am in the game. Um, and so now I'm at like a second large boss. Um, this game's amazing. That's really all I have to say about it. It's really good. <laughs> um, great. Paula. Actually, speaking of Tunic, Paula. 
you're playing it too, right? Yeah, I haven't I haven't made uh, a lot of progress like this week because mm. it's one of those games that I'm playing with my boyfriend and oh. like we are we are playing another multiplayer game instead of Tunic, which mm. by the way it is The Wild Eight. I got this game on early access. I don't know how long ago that was, but you you can play by yourself or you can play up with up to seven other people and each person chooses one of the available characters that had that has like their own strengths and weaknesses so i got the the character that is very good at collecting stuff and also has a higher chance of uh, of inflicting a critical hit while my boyfriend has like the character that is more like combat oriented and it has been a lot of fun like the 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 times i played on early access the i feel the characters were were killable in a way like they died more easily to anything but now they in the final release pretty much they you can actually play the game without dying like every other minute, which is nice. And we actually haven't died out. I think about it. Hopefully I didn't think so. And it is very much you get dropped like with whoever you're playing, like in this um plane crash or whatever. And you have to survive. And you're like given like um little notifications of hey, maybe you should go like to maybe you should, you should explore over here and if you find like something that needs a generator it's like huh i wonder where where can i get that and then you start like following these um i guess phone lines or electricity lines which that's what we're doing now and we found uh like this huge abandoned building and we have like to explore inside of it to get like more resources to keep on living i remember there being like some very scary creatures in this game that you eventually have to fight like the most we found right now are wolves and i'm pretty sure i saw bear ones in other playthroughs so I am carefully exploring the world because I don't want to die and have to like run all the way to to the camp where we're staying. But overall, I think it has been a, a lot of fun. We've been exploring the whole map. We've been like each one of us have like their own like chores to do so we can keep on living and keep exploring the map. And we've encountered like a certain character inside a building that I don't know what the story it is, but they are like enclosed in this space. And if you give them like, I don't know, armor, they will give you something in return. And it seems the better the armor is, the the better things you get. So I didn't think there were gonna be NPCs on this thing, but they are. Um so hopefully we'll play a little bit more of this because we are planning on playing something like in Japanese to try to um, practice our Japanese. So hopefully the way I won't take a setback like Tunic did. 
The other games I've played are The Crook King and The Great Hero. Haven't made much progress on this one because of time, pretty much. Variable Barricade, I played, I want to say like a couple of hours in. More like, um, and the thing is, is that this game is different from another, from other Atomic games in the sense that like the story is like separated in boards. And you have like to clear a board, like to keep to to go to the next board. And I still not, I'm still not sure why they structure this like the, like that, because it kind of like breaks the I guess it kind of breaks the immersion for me. Like oh, I'm I'm done with this chapter, and hey, it throws me back like to the chapter section, huh? And sometimes it doesn't really need to do that, but it does, which is weird. Um, still, like right now, I am on one of the characters, like level one board. From my, from what I've heard, if you clear the level three board of a character, then you get like one of their endings. I'm still not sure, like how you select the route at this point in time and you're like supposed to like clear like all the level one boards before you can continue on with this like overall story of the game it has been still a lot of fun like the game is hilarious the each character is a walking disaster like one of them is a gold digger and the other one was like um almost prosecutor for a marriage fraud or something like that and like it's still like the, the the main character's grandfather it's like hey they have something that you don't have and i'm like i don't know what that is because he, i don't know what grandfather is trying to have he already learned from these uh walking disasters right now because all i can see is their their faults i cannot see any redeeming qualities yet and to be honest at this point in the cupid parasite playthrough I was like, hey, this character is kind of like a disaster, but at least they have some redeeming qualities. I am not seeing that here. Anyways, still, the game is hilarious. At the very least, um, the one saving grace for me is that Sumui, the best friend, is like best friend ever, like in any Otome game, and I love her. And the game is just plain funny. So, yeah. And the other one that I'm playing, the other game that I'm playing, is Fire Emblem Fates Birthright. I am going with the Hoshi to the Proud first. And, well, this is like kind of like the easier route of the three. And I really see like a downgrade on how the story, the, um, the overall story being told compared to Awakening. Like I do remember like quite a bit from the from the Fates trilogy. And it can be a hot mess, story-wise, but the gameplay is fun. So if you play this, play for play for the gameplay. Don't expect like a grandiose story or anything like that. I am just um, a Fire Emblem Fates apologist, honestly. I think the whole thing is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care, I love it. <laughs> It's okay. Um, it's okay, Alex. 
but personally i do feel like there are like a couple of things that they kind of like hey fire emblem awakening did this so we kind of have to do it with this one too even if it doesn't make sense and you know what i'm talking about i'm pretty sure you know what? <laughs> yeah the fucking babies and stuff it doesn't make yep. any sense that doesn't make any sense though having your own like castle with your like with the buildings you actually need is a lot of help though i have to say they got rid of most of the weapon breaking mechanics like the only things that i know that like are fun use only or like have a limited amount of uses are like the staves the um like the seals like the master seal the, the friendship seal and all those kind of things and the healing items but like the weapons have no durability system which makes me wonder why do you make them like so readily available now with the jobs that you can have for your castle that you can access at any time yet they are unbreakable so you don't have as much as a, of a reason to go and chop for weapons so i'm like what was the idea there the castle invasions are a fun mechanic though like i'm still not sure like what triggers them and i play like i already played all the fates game when they came out and i'm replaying them i'm still not sure like when the invasions happen but defending my castle and having like those more i guess defensive structures in place in case of an emergency um makes me like build this stuff like in a more strategic kind of way instead of just like hey there's still some space here just put the building there and the um like they kind of got rid of you like being able to select like what a specific part of the, of the map like you cannot like walk on on the overworld map like you used to in awakening or as you can on echoes which it was like okay i get it like having like jobs in every single like point of the map and trying to memorize like where everything was was kind of confusing but i still like the ability of like moving the map, um, walking toward an, an enemy and battling it, or just like finding the secret jobs or like, not the secret jobs, like the temporary jobs I used to set up in Awakening and getting like a huge discount on a very rare item. I kind of miss that, but the, what Fire Emblem Fates does with the castle system, it's something I really dig because you have everything like there available for you to interact with without like having to walk all over the place. Now to the thing I kind of hinted at when playing Fire Emblem Awakening, the pair up system, it's still broken. It's more, um, what's the word for it? Predictable of how it works or when it's gonna work. But it's still kind of broken. And the thing is, is that now if you have the two units like on the same slot, they will, one of them will give like a bonus to the other in certain stats. 
which still broken as fuck because it will allow you sometimes to outspeed anything and everything in the map. So you can pretty much wipe any fun enemy uh, of your choosing. And um, I think every fifth attack from an enemy is one that will you be able to block. No questions asked. And but what I really like about the pair mechanic is that enemies can do it too now. Mm. So in that way, it is more balanced because that's the thing with awakening. You were the only one able to do pair up, so you can sweep everything on your way. But since enemies have the same like children mechanic. If you're attacking an enemy that is spare up like in the same space with another enemy, you cannot take advantage of, of the offensive pair up mechanic that is when you have two units like adjacent to each other. So that is something that I think it was changed for the better. Because now I have to think, hey, there's these two enemies close together. What's the best way for me to group my units? Or do I go? Do I pair them up together at all and just keep them adjacent? And yeah, I think I am around chapter 13 on Fireman Fates, Birthright. I don't know if I'll have a beaten by next week because homework is a thing and I, and I don't like it. But I think at the very least, it's not going to take me more than a couple more weeks to beat. Okay. So yeah, those are all the games that I've been playing. Why don't we roll? to our topic of the week yes good old um strategy guides which really like i mean last week we were talking about um, instruction manuals and whatnot so i feel like this is a pretty natural continuation there um i think maybe to start just like where strategy guides are as a thing nowadays they're gone is basically <laughs> the issue right it's gone line ultimately it's uh yeah well because prima games shut down in 2018 right um which was like the biggest pretty much i know there's brady games as well but i think brady games is gone isn't it i I, I don't know i think they might have folded into another publisher there was also piggyback they don't Mm -hmm. exist anymore Mm -hmm. um but yeah brady's the one i knew of i thought they might still be going in some capacity but there's just not a market for a physical anymore and that is like it's ultimately the same as, as what we said last week, and it, it, it's sad in a lot of the same ways. Um, I had a really strong memory growing up with Final Fantasy III for the Nintendo DS um, of cover to cover leafing through the strategy guide for that game and peeling through and, and using various parts of it on the way to beating that game. Um, and the art in it was wonderful. Um I think that was a Brady Games one, you know. The art in it was wonderful. Um, all the stats were really, really useful. It had maps for all the floors um, and everything sort of linked back to everything else. It was perfect. Excellent. Um, you had something to throw in. Um, yeah, well, I just... So, okay, so Prima was under Random House, right? Prima Games. Okay. And Brady Games was under Penguin Group, which those two groups in 2013 came together to become Penguin Random House, right? And when that happened... Prima and Brady were joined together and then they were closed down in 2018. So Prima and Brady were their own, were put together and they both 
vanished. Oh, went down. At the same- oh, that sucks. Okay. Yeah. So basically, they were effectively because there's an interesting article from a from a guy who you know makes strategy guides uh, and was on contract for Prima in 2017. He was talking about how like nowadays he was like there's maybe like he said like there'd be about like 60 books that would be made but that was in 2017 so that changed real fast the next year um, and they picked the wrong fucking horses as well i remember walking into um our equivalent of gamestop in the uk just called game and uh they would have strategies for like halo 5 and like the newest call of duty is like nobody needs that guide why are you paying people to write that guide well they said the ones that sold the most were like skyrim gta like um yeah these large big games that have and ultimately this is sort of the issue too right is that like the games that actually require them it sounded like they were they were just kind of like like i can understand why you would have a guide that people would buy for both skyrim and for gta especially if you're adding like g online in that too because like those are huge expansive games so of course you would want to have i don't know you might want to look at a guide at some point for those but for fucking cod who in their right mind needs to look at a guide for God? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. You know, I like, it's not like it could even be tips on what to do in the multiplayer. Cause that shit changes so fast. Like it would be outdated immediately. Right. Oh, but I mean that, 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 yeah. as I understand it was it. So like you have maps for the single player levels, to the extent that there are um, like all the locations with all the intels, but more importantly, uh, stats for all the weapons going into multiplayer maps oh, yeah. for the multiplayer map. And <laughs> You can almost make the case that early doors, it's a useful head start to have a like a physical hmm. version of all the maps to familiarize yourself with, ditto guns. But they tweak those numbers that, like you say, it's outdated a fortnight. No pun intended. <laughs> well, pun very much intended, but yeah. Well, exactly, right? And so, like, and it is a shame because, like, right now, right, I'm playing Majora's Mask using one of prima got a games i think guide maybe it's a brady games one i don't know i can't remember <laughs> but i'm using one of those guides um on my phone at least and it's it is incredible because like it adds this level of um just artistry to the guides right like all yeah. these beautiful maps that are created that they're not that's like you know they construct those right like especially at that point it wasn't just like oh yeah we're gonna pull jpeg from the game file no that's not how <laughs> you know like no they had to make all those uh all those maps and and, and um there's just so much graphic design placed into it which makes it very very appealing to go through and use um whereas like and obviously we'll get to this but like the the digital world and era has obviously changed things quite a bit but i also find a lot of like you know good old game facts and you know ign wikis or there's tons of them there's tons of them out there um it's often just pretty plain text you know which is sometimes helpful, but in a visual medium, not always that helpful. <laughs> like, how many times have you used? Like, to, case in point, I was playing Super Mario RPG and I, I pulled up a, a, a guide a few times because there's a lot of like um, hidden stuff you can miss. And they're describing directions in an isometric fucking game, which they'll be like, go left. And I was like, what do you mean left? left <laughs> yeah like left from the entrance or like left on the screen because left on the screen ain't really left <laughs> you're like mm. um it's like sure would be nice to have i guess i should have just like downloaded a real old guide from that because i bet you there's a really good one that's that's my loss but fun fun diversion on that uh nintendo recently 
copyright claimed uh, someone who had scanned in a Super Mario 64 guide from 1996 that is no longer in print or available anywhere. Ugh, that's lame. Yeah, yeah, fuck Nintendo and their lawyers. Um, but yeah, no, it's, this is definitely the rub because, and and this is interesting when you talk about like what games get paper strategy guides or got paper strategy guides. Mm-hmm. Um, the fun thing with game facts is that there are games that have no right to have a guide in, in terms of install <laughs> size that have really comprehensive walkthroughs. Yeah. Um, and God love the community that puts those together. Like I remember. Uh, playing an old RPG called Contact way back in the day. Excellent RPG. Um, old Grasshopper situation on the DS. Made really good use of, of all the unique things about that system. Um, there was a big fuck-off digital guide written for that game. Can't have sold more than 50,000 copies. There's no way that it could have ever justified a paper guide. It's the kind of game that probably needed a guide, and the community answered that question. I don't know about you guys. I find that I will often look for a paper guide fir- first. Uh, even for older games, like when I was playing Vagrant Story, I bought a paper copy of that guy because I was like, that's the era where I'd really enjoy having all that art and that everything else. And, and for the time I played the game, I absolutely did. Um, generally speaking, depending on the game, I will skip that step and go straight to finding like a, a written guide or a game fax or something like that. Uh, where no such thing is available, I will often go to YouTube and watch a Let's Play and watch how someone else did it. And I think that, that that's kind of the end game because... You want to see how to do it. What better way than watching someone do it? Yeah, and I mean, I think at this point in time, we have a wealth of options, right? And which is awesome. Yeah. You know, like it's great that I can, you know, do this in many different ways. Um, but I do think like, yeah, it's it's a bit of that like depends on what you need thing, right? Like I would never, ever, ever suggest that we should go back to the era of only having paper guides because obviously that's not, <laughs> you know, sure. not not ideal. But yeah, I do feel like at the moment, I think we're a little like at a balance. You know what I mean? Like how, yeah. and we saw that a lot with like even like limited run games and things like doing more um, game prints and whatnot. It feels a little bit like, Cause like, actually I think about, so Phil Summers, he does those hand drawn game guides, which unfortunately Nintendo put a, a claim on. Um, Did they really? Oh, yeah, that, that kickstarter. Yeah. You can get them for, you can get it for free though. Like he's, he's got it hosted on different sites um, that you can download it for free, but like, so he's not making money. It's not yet. Yeah, fuck yeah. Nintendo and fuck the lawyers. I yeah. know, right? The physical is what you really want. Like I have his physical legend of Zelda one. And it's so beautiful. And like, those got so much support, right? Because people are like, oh yeah, I want artwork of this game I fucking love along with a guide. It's nice, right? Like, it's like, this is a fun way to go through and experience this. Um, and so at the moment, I feel like um, we just have such a, a lack. And cause like, I also understand that like, there's just not, it's just not super viable because you sometimes have to figure out like, will this game have a big enough fan base to even warrant doing this crazy huge um, thing? Which is also why maybe this should just be a Kickstarter thing more often. Like, kickstart some strategy guides. I'd be into it. You know what I mean? Like, but then also the question is, do you have the permission? Because it's, uh, you know, like, it's all this shit, right? Of like, now you enter into this weird rights question of like... Um, and this is where those big publishing companies for the strategy guides had a really useful in because it's like well you know us we know you 
and it simplifies that process. And I'm sure streamlines it because they have contacts at various publishers. Right. Mm. And then that's the issue because you're like, well, oh yeah, I'm just looking right now at the Super Mario RPG guide and I'm like, damn it, why didn't I use the paper one? It's so awesome. It's beautiful. <laughs> but I suppose it's interesting when you say, you know, the art's a big draw because art books are absolutely still a thing. Yeah. Um, albeit having said that out loud the amount of work that's involved in an art book versus a strategy guide it's apples and oranges obviously you have the print costs for same and it can't cost much to pay someone to put that guide together but it costs much more than the nothing it costs to get a graphic designer to spend an afternoon throwing all the concept art together in in a book setup which you would need to do anyway in a strategy guide. You need someone to, to graphic design that setup as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the wrinkle. Yeah. And the reality with art books and like, I look, I love art books, but let's be fucking mm. real here. You open an art book once and you look through all the pages and you go, that was pretty. <laughs> and you put it away. Unless, I don't know, if you're an artist, maybe you go back and you look at the image for inspiration sometimes, but that's or if it. you said like me and every few months you go through your um, Shin Megami Tensei and Persona art books, which I absolutely do. Right? And so, but, there but... I am the artist that mm. looks like the, uh, the art books for inspiration and study sessions. Exactly. And so we that... The whole gamut here on the podcast. Exactly. That I understand. But for me, it's like the, the beauty with the strategy guide is that it's art and utility, right? Like there is sure. that beauty within it. So you can go and you can look, you can even just like, some of the strategy guys are fun to just go and scroll through and look at, right? Mm. But you also are like, I can also actually use this when I play the game. <laughs> and that to me is just, mm. I love that. It's such a beautiful combination of the two, you know? Because like you said, the art books have such a, have a really niche, I would say even, I'd say those are even more niche than strategy guides, right? Um, sure. Because not only do you need to enjoy the game, but like really, you, you've got to really enjoy the game. <laughs> um, versus like anyone who wants to play can you know enjoy a strategy guide but anyway, i love art books as well though don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah i have to say like i love art books but the especially like the three book series that they did for the legend of Zelda that was Harold Storia, mm-hmm. Harold encyclopedia and <laughs> arts and artifacts there's so much information right there that it's just plain interesting about the development of the game that I found myself by looking at those like more often than the regular outputs. Yeah. Yep. That and creating a champion. That and what, sorry? Creating a champion. That is the Breath of the Wild <sighs> book. Yeah, that's some nice shit. There's you some know... 13 Sentinels ones stuck in Japan and I'm really, really waiting for them to one day decide to translate those. Aww. Maybe the Switch release will take off and it'll be like the nudge they need. Probably not, but maybe. You know, it's tough too with strategy guides because like if you want to get your hands on one now, the reality is that they're in bad shape. Because <laughs> like, yeah, they were used, mm-hmm. you know? Like they, it wasn't even just like a thing you put on the shelf. It's like, no, man, I used this as a kid to actually beat this damn game. So my game, my strategy guide is wrinkly or broken. <laughs> or they weren't used because it was a stupid one. Like I, I foolishly albeit very cheaply, picked up an Alan Wake strategy guide. That game does not need a strategy guide. <laughs> like, I remember looking at the Warcraft 3 and Warcraft 3 The Frozen Throne, 
um, start that you guys that came with the game. Those things have seen better days. I don't even know where they are anymore. Oh, and, go sorry. Oh, and the the on, I think the only strategy guide that I actually went out and purchased was the Pokemon X and Y strategy guide because it had like all the locations of our, all the hidden objects. And then I gave that to my nephew because he was playing the game and he was like, okay, so you don't get lost, you can use this. And oh my god, the that thing has been seen better days too. Yeah. And that's the thing, the, the useful ones get used. That Alan Wake guide, almost box fresh. Because obviously it's Alan Wake. It's a <laughs> linear action game. Nobody <laughs> needed a guide for that game. That's not a thing that, that should have happened <sighs> ever. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's funny because I think back when I was younger, I would go buy a game and they would be like, EB Games would always have, or GameStop now, whatever. They would always have um, the strategy guides up whenever you're buying a new game. And they're like, you want the strategy guide? And I was always yeah, just yeah. like, as a young kid, I was like, why would I fucking need that? I can go online. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because ultimately, I just didn't have that appreciation for it yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I do think that that's something that develops with time, which is also why. If I'm trying to envision a world, like you're saying, where these could come back, and I, I do think it's possible, like, it is, again, in that kickstarted vein, you know? Um, yeah. It's, and, and it has to be for, like, sort of the niche audiences. Like, I would I would happily, I wonder if it exists, actually, I would happily take, like, a Hollow Knight strategy guide just to own that, because, <laughs> like, there's a game that could use it. Metroidvanias, all these roguelites, they could really fucking use some of these guides, you know? Um, and I would love to just own that physical thing i even like they make some of those smaller ones oh they're so pretty anyway it, it's just like niche collector shit at this point right but like it, they, they feel like such an appreciation of the game and the amount of work that has to go into them is absurd right because not only do you have to write compelling um text for these things like and they also have to be easy to follow good explanations you also actually have to figure out all the fucking secrets because like, that's not a thing that's just like it's not that the company's just like hey buddy here's a list of all the secrets in our games they don't know like they've got them but you know you think they make a big old list like hell no that's not how game development works they don't just have like a a, a text file where it's like and in this level you find this and that. you know what i mean like some companies who are super organized might have some of that stuff but not for the most part, right? Like there's maybe design docs, but they're all over the place, right? Like it's not, and, and they're probably not going to give you all their design docs because some are maybe outdated, right? Like you, you, they might give you something and be like, oh, actually, no, wait, we, we changed that in the recent thing because we realized it didn't work. You know, like um, anyway, it's just one of those things where I'm like the amount of work involved in creating one of these is, I mean, that's why IGN has fucking an entire team where they pay people to create these wikis, right? Um, but they can do that because they're getting recurring clicks. Yeah. And it pays for it that way. And that's where the incentive model is just completely different. Exactly. And, and it's not just per, per time you look. It's those pages are set up so you're clicking through multiple pages to get the information you need. And as such, you count as multiple views for that advert. Yeah. Um, and for them to, like, you know, they have an even better, you know, honestly, man, Love that they could partner with someone and just like share like here's the guides that get clicked on the most for us. Go make a physical one and like you could make bank off that. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what I mean? Use our thing. Do that. I don't know. I just want them back. <laughs> they were like the Zelda Dungeon ones that 
Those are out of this world because they have both the imagery and also they have a huge interactive map for Breath of the Wild where you can just like, do, it's pretty much a giant interactive checklist with everything in the game. And it is the amount of work it, 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 it probably took is out of this world. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rick, you mentioned you had a couple growing up. Uh, is there any others that you can think of that were you were just like these were the best? God, um, that Final Fantasy three one truthfully was the the one that, yeah. that jumped out at me. Um, when I played through Soul Silver recently, I did pick up a strategy guide for that. Um, that was a godsend. Um, it had the whole Pokédex in the back, so various mm-hmm. stats, moves, type weaknesses, and stuff like that. That was really useful to have. It also um, had a pull-out map, which was, again, quite helpful. Uh, it was two-sided. It had, like, the region you were in for the game proper on one side and then, like, the bit that opens up at the end of the game on the other side. So it gave you sort of holistic coverage that way. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones I had. I had one for Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, um, mm-hmm. Blue and Red Rescue Team on the DS. That was really useful. Um, that rubbish Alan Wake one that I mentioned. The Vagrant Story one was pretty good. Um, I wasn't necessarily a fan of the way it was laid out, but the art for that game is something else. And from a visual perspective, it really, it really popped. Mm. Um, I think that might have been it. Hmm. Oh. Oh, the other one I had was um, for Phantom Hourglass on the DS. Oh, nice. And that, that was good for them because there were a lot of little secrets in that game, a lot of things sort of tucked and hidden away and um, different things that unlocked in completely opposite parts of the map when you got certain items. So that was um, a useful one to have around. Um, I may well leave a comment under this episode if I remember any more. Um, and if you guys have any ones that you want to tell us about, any particularly good or bad or useless ones, um, when you're hitting the like button under this video, as you do, I'm sure, after every podcast episode you listen to. Um, why not throw a comment there as well? <laughs> well, I think too, like it's it's interesting. I think a lot of the best strategy guides ended up being Nintendo related properties, honestly. And like Probably. I think that comes in part with like Nintendo Power often made them as well. Or and like they made some really nice ones. Like I, I do recommend for anyone who wants to play Super Mario RPG to take a look at that strategy guide because it's awesome. And like it has like a whole thing on the enemies and everything. I'm like, I'm kind of pissed off that I didn't use that one. But anyway, <laughs> um, like when I think back, everything we're mentioning, it's like, I can't really think of many, like, I'm sure there were some pretty good ones for Sony games as well. Like probably the, some of the bigger RPGs. Like I'm sure there's some good ones for like the Final Fantasies and whatnot. Um, but it does just feel to me like this is also, strategy guides are kind of, kind of for specific genres right like i do think rpgs in general seem to be the ones that benefit the most from them because they have such complex systems and usually such um intense amounts of like enemies and like things that aren't always very explicit within the game right like think about it nowadays it's a bit easier but like i can think back to even a number of games where it's like not always super clear what you're supposed to do next not always super clear like 
how enemies are affecting you or how you're affecting enemies, right? And like stats and whatnot that honestly having a strategy guide is like pretty useful to be like, okay, this boss has how much health? Oh, it has this much health. Okay. And like, whatever it's weak, you know, like this kind of deal where it like helps just give you information about the game, which could potentially be a failing of the games themselves, but hey, that's what the strategy guides are there for. It's real nice. <laughs> and I think that that really is the irony, the ones that require the most work to make happen and as such are kind of the least likely to happen. Uh, are the ones that are the most they useful. Are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh, the the games that usually really need like a strategy guide because of how complex their systems are are usually the games that are very niche. <laughs> and the ones where like no one's gonna make that strategy guide. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is sad. Well, they're at the very least, game facts is there to save the day, but. But even then, really? have you ever? Yeah. yeah. Hmm? I remember using Game Fags, and I, I think it was Car Battle or Joe, maybe. It was like a little Game Boy game. GBA, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to look for some info, and I remember finding it, and the dude literally, like, <laughs> it just ended. I was like, I'll, fi- I'll, I'll, I'll finish this later. <laughs> like, it just didn't ever never finish did. it. And that happens a fair oh. bit on like obscurish games of Game Fag. Sometimes you'll just have someone who like really valiantly tried and then you can see the game beat them and it's like at that point it just ends and you're also like oh yeah this is pretty tough i just i I couldn't stop laughing i was like wow this person was just like no man i'm fucking done i can't do this anymore somewhere that person's got like a partner and kids now and they're just like living their best life car battler joe doesn't mean anything anymore because that's what that to me is like i really kind of hope that's what it was like like they were playing it and they were like why am i doing this (laughs) (laughs) like no i'm done i'm done (laughs) um but that also comes from someone who is like a absolute just like chronic project starter not finisher so i get it (laughs) ouch that hit a little bit too close to home um i don't know like there's some genuinely crazy folks on game facts like someone did like uh like a platinum trophy guide for Persona for Golden, like on the first run, or like having like all the social links and mm-hmm. what was the other thing? Like having all the social links like ready on the first run and maxing out out maxing out all the stats too. And I don't know how many runs that poor person did to get like the the like all the possible bonuses, like those times where you get like a possibly an extra point from something or like the super meatball like having the exact stats that you need like right Christ like to to pretty much like get there mm. I don't know how many runs that person did but they are amazing because I actually used that guy I didn't finish the game but I used that guide but the time investment it was got yeah, no, not not doing that ever for a game. Then you have like the folks at the Otome community. I love them. You are the best. Thank you, Otome Kitten, for letting me one hundred percent so many Otome games. Hmm. You know, like. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh no! Go ahead. Oh no! This is kind of a tangent. So if you want to finish something there, you go down. <laughs> 
No, I was going to say, like, even if uh, sometimes like visual novels in general don't have like the most complex systems ever, having to replay the game like many, many times to get like the desired outcome, especially if they don't have like any clear signal that, yay, the, the, the thing you did was the correct thing to do, um, can get a little bit like grindy and not fun. So props to everyone that does like uh, visual novel guides, especially like in the atomic community, because it is niche. And also, I don't know who was the crazy, the crazy bastard that did the Stainsgate one hundred percent guide. But they are good because <laughs> that is one convoluted visual novel to try to one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Do you want to know something insane? Do you want to know, get guess when Game Facts was made? I would say ninety-eight. You're close, Rick. You're close. Yeah, nineteen ninety-five. Fuck off. Yeah, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. I wasn't like... even born at at that point. <sighs> Ooh, well, I was, I was a three-year-old. So that's <laughs> that's that's insane, right? Like, I mean, what? Um, I just, anyways, I just. Yeah, that to me like is wild. You think about how old that is. So like, I guess really because we often talk about how like game facts and like you know the rise of these kind of killed, um, killed strategy guides. But I'm like, I don't. Is that true? I don't know. They were around a long time. <laughs> it's like a very slow transition. Maybe kind of like the Netflix blockbuster model, right? Where you're like, it happens, and then you hold on for dear life for as long as you possibly can until it's just over. <laughs> I. When Game Facts starts, it's definitely more like a, a question board type thing as well, especially those yeah. days of the internet. And then it morphs into what it is that we that we're familiar with uh, at the time of recording in twenty twenty two. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I wonder when it actually kind of morphs into um, um, when it kind of morphed into like basically um, just uh, you know, oh my god, what am I trying to say here? Like, um, when it became proper guides. guides, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like, well, I guess for a long time because it was always the FAQ, so at least that was kind of like, I guess, because that in those days that was the supplement, right? I have a specific mm. question about a game, let's go see if someone's asked it or if I can ask it, right? Which is like, that's a nice service. And then I kind of wonder at, at what point was it like, okay, now you know, we're just going to make full actual guides. Um, because a lot of those game facts guides right they're just text-based for the most part right um mm. i don't think do any of them have images i don't think so do they not that i know of. i know a lot of them have a bit of ascii art but i don't think any of them have images yeah it's all ascii isn't it yeah 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 uh which is also why i find personally game facts guides are hell on earth <laughs> i mean like <laughs> if you have control f going that's fine but oh my god when i open one of those i'm just like what have i done <laughs> yeah bless those who do them but i often find those who have made guides on there the guide often exists somewhere else as well so like ah, unless they're really old anyway um does anyone have any last thoughts i think that's kind of we've we've lacked waxed lyrical on strategy guides now for a while but the strategy guide is dead long live the strategy guide exactly Yep. Nintendo, please let Phil Summers make more of those hand-drawn ones. I really like them. <laughs> and I want physicals. Damn it. I wish they would just like partner with them or some shit, but they won't. But it'd be great. <laughs> That's way too much like common sense. 
I know, right? They could yeah. they'd all make money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Bad news. No, we all just have to be sad. All right, well, it's time Not for f- long though, because we're about to play. How long to beat the game featuring two competing segues from Alex and myself. Yeah, geez. Um, That's fine. But it's me this uh, time. Alex. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, in this, the new format, so very, very briefly, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who might have missed an episode and don't know, uh, how long to beat the game has changed. So mm-hmm. um, we now take it in terms of the host. So Alex is going to randomize the game. Uh, Paula and I, in this instance, are going to send him privately our guesses for how long it would take to beat main, main plus, and 100% for this game. Um, whoever is the closest gets a point. And there are two points up for grabs in the um, bonus round category of Alex choosing. Yeah, the, the lucky dip category, let's call it. So he might pick how many people are currently playing this game. Um, what is the lowest time for this game to be? Um, as I did last week, uh, what's the percentage of retirements? And whoever gets closest to that gets two points. So there's a, a maximum of five points up for grabs um, per player. So without further ado, Alex, what game are we talking about this week? All right, so this week we're actually playing Mischief Makers for the N64. Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, this is a treasure that game. That does sound like a And Mischief Makers stars a robotic cleaning maid named Marina on a mission to rescue her kidnapped creator from the clutches of an evil emperor. As with most oh, evil folk, the emperor isn't about to just hand over the aging scientist and has amassed an army to stop Marina at all costs. So Marina has to travel is through a number the- of worlds. Is this the funky 3D one? Sorry, I know I've, I've jumped in the middle it's of It's 3D. There. Yeah, well, I was done there. Yeah. Um, but it was published by Nintendo and Enix in, Ooh. in North America in 1997. It came to the EU in 98, interestingly. Um, but yeah. Apparently. Yeah, that's absolutely the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yes, I do know this one. It looks kind of neat. I'm, I'm planning like a, a treasure like chronology playthrough so mischief makers has, has come across my mind in that sense as well so and it was only for the n64 so this was in a platform exclusive mm. which to be honest a lot of n64 games were only for the n64 so <laughs> didn't have a lot of uh didn't have a lot of ports <laughs> no so what do you um... think send me privately we should find out oh and for the listeners um a reminder as well that basically after a set amount of um episodes whoever has the most points at the end and i think we said we we're going to do three rounds total so probably like nine episodes whoever ends up with the most points at that point gets to decide um a kind of category of games that we all have to play together kind of like a tome but could be totally different who knows so there's a lot yeah, of so it may be different <laughs> yeah, right, I've, sent my, I've sent my votes in. Um, knowing it's a treasure game, I've got I've got a pretty good bead on what kind of length we're talking. Again, I unfortunately for Paul, I have a bit of an idea what what this game involves because <laughs> I've been looking into playing it. So who knows? Maybe I need to do my best. What am I on the line? Wow, well, you know what they say about pride coming before a fall. So let's see. <laughs> And actually, um, while you are doing that, um, I'm going to give you my bonus one here. 
Oh, and I have a bunch of different. Yeah, okay. So I want you to tell me what was the most recent review score for this game? Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that out of 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're out of 10, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say most recent review score. I've sent you that as well. Sounds good. I got it. Um, I vote to send it. I was going to do like when was the oldest review, but I like the scores more. You know? mm. I'm hoping there's a comment on the most recent review because I always think it's interesting to see how people find older games when they come back to them. Oh, there's definitely a yeah. There's a there's a comment, all right. <laughs> uh there. Now, the way the way you're saying that is not making me super confident about my score. Oh, no, I, I'm I, scared I think that I, I understood it, but I. I think I made that too loaded because it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's nothing that. like that. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, okay, let's take a look uh, here. So I've got both of them in. So all right, um, what we got here. So for Maine, Paula said seven hours. And Rick said five hours. And the main story is indeed five hours. So for that one, Rick, you get a point. Um, Next up, Rick said for main plus six hours. And Paula said 10 hours. I am so screwed. You're very screwed, (laughs) Paula. The main plus is six and a half hours. That's another point to Rick. Um, For the 100%, Paolo went for 15 hours and Rick went for 10 hours and the completionist is 11 hours. So once I read, yeah, Rick threw this up and okay. For the most recent review, Rick said six out of 10 and Paolo said seven out of 10. Ooh. The score was six out of 10. No. Yeah. Which means Rick, you're right up there. I just added your points. You got five points this round, which means Rick is at eight points. I'm at five and Paula's at three. And I'm going to read you the review here so you can uh, see what it says here, which I actually think is pretty fun. So it says fun little game. Definitely not a must play in all caps though, which is weird (laughs) considering how much I like most of treasures other offerings. The platforming is honestly more action puzzly rather than just flat out action like stuff such as Gunstar Heroes, Dynamite Heady, or Alien Soldier. So maybe that might be why I didn't gravitate so much towards it. The boss fights are really fun though, as always with treasure games. Characters and art are all done by the same guy that did Guardian Heroes and Gunstar Heroes. So if you like that aesthetic, then there's more of that here too. All in all, a rather good time, but nothing super noteworthy that you gotta go out of your way to play. And that's from Super Mama Luigi. <laughs> Thank you, Super Mama <laughs> Luigi. That's a great Honestly. little review. Um, that is a lovely review. And um, yeah, I, definitely from screenshots, it does look a little bit more clonoery than any of Treasure's other stuff, which is an interesting thing for me. Yeah. Um, worth saying, if anyone is doing 3DS purchases before that shop closes at the time of recording, um, M2 did an exceptional port of Gunstar Superheroes to the 3DS with a couple of extra sort of options. The 3D on it's really good. It's the definitive way to play that game, um, and it's an excellent game. So definitely be looking out for that if you guys are um, buying while you can. Also, or, you know, download it legally. You can totally do that. <laughs> Speaking of Klonoa, there's this Klonoa RPG that was stuck in Japan, and it just got a fan translation like a week On the GBA, so. yeah, I yeah. downloaded it recently. Did you? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so there you go. Oh, actually, this is not for points or anything, but do either of you want to guess when the last, like the oldest review is? 
Oh gosh, um, two, I want to say two thousand and thirteen. Oh, just give me a number because I can't <laughs> oh, calculate uh, it. <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna say four out of ten. Oh, like years ago. Give me years ago. That's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> oh, so thirteen is nine years ago. Nine years ago. Is okay. What do you think, Bella? Last... Can you repeat the question? I was yeah. like, how many years ago do you think the last review was? Like the oldest review. Oh. That was my bad. It's just horribly. <laughs> I'm gonna say three years ago. Three years ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. It, well, it's nine point five years ago. So right yeah. yeah. When you think about it, though, this game came out in um, in 1997. So that's the wrong skew, though. The site's only been live like 10, 11 years. I know so. exactly. But that, but that's why I was thinking. You know, if it's only been around 10, 11 years, the site itself, then. I guess it makes sense that this would be done within the first few years. <laughs> mm, true, true. Be, it, it's cool that even then, you know, people were still going back and revisiting this game because even at that point, mm. like the N64 wasn't a widely available thing. I'm pretty sure Mischief Makers has never been made available on any of the uh, sort of digital archival services of any kind. It's not right. like an eShop sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. That review is really funny too because it clearly relates to the game itself but i don't understand because it just says a fun platformer that really makes you have fun living up to the theme of shake 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 <laughs> yeah that's, that's the mechanic the mechanic of shaking things yeah that's the mechanic oh, okay if, if i remember correctly you move with the d-pad and like you use the analog stick to do the shake i well, like i go. said i'm planning to play this game i, I yeah, I've into it. maybe i'll need to play this game on uh i'll like set up the <laughs> It's easy for there. On, I could probably get an emulator work on the Wii U or something. I don't know. Um, we have options. Yeah, Mr. You can always get an emulator working on the Wii U. Exactly. <laughs> There'll always be a way. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in, folks. We'll uh, see you next time. I think this was the, the first. So, like, we've done now three rounds of this new game. We have, yeah. So, we've got two more sections of rounds to go through. Um, and then it'll be uh, see who wins. Mm. All right, toodaloo, folks. (laughs) Bye. Bye.